from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Ed Likovich on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, Ed? Great. Thanks for having me, Steve. This is exciting. I appreciate you being on. So I'm looking forward into to getting into Nimble, but before we do, can you give us a little personal background? Just tell us about Ed, where he grew up, family, stuff like that. Yeah, sure thing. So I grew up in sort of middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, uh, rural Western PA, about halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Uh, puts me squarely in Steelers territory, which is a tough week to be a, a Steelers fan, but that's just, that's how it is. So anyway, uh, yeah, grew up in kind of small town America. Um, my parents were both school teachers. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, running around through the woods with friends, riding our bikes, all of that sort of thing. And you know, turned 18 and, and left for the big city of Boston for college. So I uh, went to Harvard as an undergrad and grad student, uh, studied physics, uh, oddly enough, uh, but but was a fun choice. Uh, learned a lot. It was tough. Had a good time. Um, thought I wanted to be sort of a professor uh, and kind of went down that path a little bit in grad school, but I missed kind of that more immediate impact uh, of, of my work, kind of connecting that to people in society. Mm. Um, so kind of ended up down the path of, uh, of healthcare entrepreneurship, uh, which I love because it, I, I get to wake up every day uh, knowing that what I'm doing is impacting people and knowing that I'm building a team that cares a lot about that mission and, and uh, we're here to prevent a million falls. So it's been a fun journey. And uh, in hindsight, it looks like a straight line. Probably as I was going through it, it was a little bit more zigzaggy, but. Uh, <laughs> How did you decide on Harvard? By the way, congratulations. I mean, PhD from Harvard, that's a big deal. So congrats. Um, how did you decide on Harvard? I mean, you, your parents were school teachers. So, uh, you know, I, I, th those those jobs don't make a lot of money. So getting into Harvard for you is a big deal, I'm guessing. Just talk to me. Yeah, a no, bit it, about, was. Yeah. It, it was. It um, was. And I always joke, you know, I, I do a lot of alumni interviewing um, because that's that's how Harvard runs its its interview process. And a lot of times students will ask me, well, what, what was it like? And I, I say, you know, I went there freshman fall and all I could think about was don't screw this up. You know what I mean? Just study nonstop because I knew if I came home and I did, I failed out or something like that, my parents were not going to be happy. And so, you know, I, I think there's a broader, a broader lesson there, which is that, that we're all given opportunities in different ways. Right. And uh, I think when you have that opportunity, you've got to take it. And, and I was fortunate enough to get it. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think that a lot of it was through hard work. I'm sure a lot of it was luck too. And, and that's the way the world works. So, um, so yeah, here I am. Congrats. Did any brothers, sisters, or are you the only kid? No, I've got a younger brother. Um, he's strangely enough is out here in Colorado too. He's in the Springs. He's a pharmacist. Um, okay. So it's kind of kind of funny how we both ended up somewhere in the healthcare world um, by by uh, no fault of our own, I guess. So somewhere along the line, you thought, well, I might want to be a professor, etc. But somehow you got the entrepreneurial bug, and it was tied to healthcare in some way. H how did that connection happen? Would did you have a parent or a family member with with healthcare or falls or whatever, because we'll get into nimble, but talk to me about the connection there for you emotionally and, and where the passion came in. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So um, I, I'm a second generation here. So my grandparents on my mother's side uh, immigrated from Hungary and uh, my grandfather was a, a, ran a steel pattern business in, uh, in Western Pennsylvania. So they would make these uh, kind of small business, you know, a handful of employees, but they would make these giant, giant steel molds for these, uh, giant things that you'd make in, in, uh, out of steel. And this was quite a back in the, 
you know, 60s and 70s when Western Pennsylvania was the steel capital of the world, right? And okay, so okay, I have okay. a lot of uh, uh, memories as a young child, you know, visiting my grandfather's business. My dad would work there in the evenings a lot. Um, okay. So I'd kind of come down and, you know, you're a young boy, what, what better place could you be with a bunch of power tools and stuff around and a giant pile of wood and of course you couldn't touch very much at first, but then you got to use the belt sander, you know, and then you got to use the next tool and, and you kind of went up from there. Um, and so I think that was, that was uh, formative in a way that I wasn't quite conscious of at the time. Uh, just kind of seeing that, you know, uh, individual who came here from another country, built a business, was successful, was well-regarded because he worked hard and, you know, had, uh, you know, had the confidence, I guess, to go out and start something which is difficult. Uh, so I think I had that sort of in the back of my head. And okay. that was the same, uh, the same grandfather who suffered a, a pretty bad fall. Um, ah, and uh, okay. it, it wasn't the same after that. And, and that was a hard thing to see because I was, you know, probably, I don't remember, 10, 10-ish when that happened. And, you know, as, mm. a, as a young kid, you feel a little bit helpless, right? You've got mm -hmm. this guy who you've seen, you've looked up to, who's this strong man, ran his own business, was climbing up, you know, 15 foot piles of wood with no problem. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you, you fall and then, and you don't do it anymore. And then that's mm. a kind of a slow downward spiral to the end. So I think, I think when you combine both of those things, it, it, um, you know, unconsciously at the time, but kind of planted that seed, if you will, mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. came back later and, and kind of pushed me in this direction. Okay. Very good. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Okay. Talk to us about nimble and by the way for the listeners right it, i just want to make sure that we give out the right url so it's nimblescience.com and it's n-y-m-b-l nimblescience.com right that's right that's it and, yeah and it is and it is an app available right on apple and google and all the play store and all that stuff yeah so let's talk about that so uh the kind of the core mission of nimble is to challenge the belief that aging is less um our first value is that we're older adult advocates and champions. Uh, all too often, older adults are kind of segmented uh, and, and placed in a different part of society, especially in the medical world. It's sort of, you're older, uh, go over here, do this. I'm gonna tell you what to do. Oh, that's, you know, that's just you getting old. That's just something you have to deal with. Well, getting old isn't a disease. It's just, it's a condition that we go through as we, as we age. Um, the wants and needs of older adults are very similar to ours. They're, they're just older. You know, they want the same direction over their care. They want control of their health data. They want to be able to see things. They want to be able to improve on their own. And we, we're still stuck in this mindset in the healthcare world that older adults can't use technology. They can't right. control their own destiny. They, they need to be dictated to. And, and that's just not true. So we're out there to help older adults uh, take control of their health and well-being and live fuller and longer lives. And the, the first way we've, we've started going down that path is through preventing falls. And we talk a lot about preventing a million falls. And the reason we say a million is nobody else is, is aiming that high. I mean, you look okay. at existing best practice, which is we send older adults to an in-person balance class at, say, the YMCA or something like that. And that's great. Those are great classes, right? The okay. challenge is you've got 12 people that attend. And you have one in three older adults falling each year. So you've got something like 20 million falls in America. And, you know, about half of 1% are attending a balance class. So you've got a huge mismatch in terms right. of how many people we can reach. So uh, kind of the founding idea behind Nimble uh, by a clinician, Dr. J.P. Farsi, was that we can take this idea of, I have some ideas on how to train balance. I've done this clinically for a while. It involves the brain and the body working together. Older adults increasingly now have technology. About two in three now have a smart device in their home. 
Let's mm -hmm. deliver it in their home, just like you or I want to get stuff in our home. We don't want to go to the YMCA for a class if we can do it at home. So let's empower people to do balance training and bite size intervals and um, kind of move on from there and control their own health. So that's kind of the idea behind what we're doing. And the, so you download the app, do you, do you pay for it? Does it cost? Talk to me about using it, like daily kind of use. Yeah, great question. So right now the app is only available through certain insurance plans. Um, so our big partners are Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, and there's certain things I can make public and certain things I can't. Uh, so I can't quite list every name. Uh, but, but if you're interested in Nimble, talk to your Medicare Advantage plan and you might be covered, in, in which case it's free. Uh, we have kind of the the idea that that older adults shouldn't be paying for this. It should be the people financially responsible. So we look to the healthcare plan uh, to cover the cost. And then and then kind of in a, in a great story, we're also available to uh, New Zealand, to the country of New Zealand. So we have a deal with their uh, single payer system uh, through ACC, which is their accident insurance company, uh, that anybody in the country of New Zealand can receive Nimble uh, free of charge. And the way it's used is sort of on a, uh, in the way that's right for the individual. So there's kind of a spectrum of how engaged people want to be on their balance. Some people just want to test, hey, I want to see how I'm doing, compare me to some normative data, and then I'll come back in three months and check my balance, and that's great. We've got somebody monitoring something. They can see how they're doing. They can see if they're deteriorating or improving. Uh, we've got the other side of it is people who want to work on their balance every single day. And our program's designed to be done in kind of bite-sized 10-minute intervals. Um, why 10 minutes is because that's what people will do. Um, it's yeah. so what the majority of people do, and you can achieve real gains by working on something for bite-sized amounts of times every day of the week, three days a week, a couple times a week. Uh, so we encourage people to engage at the level that's right for them, because any amount of work on balance is going to improve your condition. Is it like, is there a screen like watching me, measuring me? Like, how's it, am I, in, what am I inputting? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. So we use, um, basically right now, mobile devices that have a bunch of sensors inside them. So a typical uh, daily experience would be you'd pick up your device, you'd log in, and you'd get a series of exercises for the day. Um, okay, call okay. it, you know, five to seven activities that last, you know, 30 to 60 seconds a piece or something. Um, imagine a standing weight shift, uh, a short lunge, uh, maybe some sit to stands, that kind of thing. Nothing okay. that's uh, that would be considered a circus trick. Um, mm -hmm. We're working on very mm -hmm. fundamental movements. And the key to what we do is we pair those physical challenges with cognitive challenges at the same time, because mm -hmm. balance is about the brain and the body working together. This is, the more you think about it, the more intuitive that'll sound, because I'm sure at some point, Steve, you've you've lost your balance, you've stumbled. Mm -hmm, Did you have mm -hmm. time to think about it? You know, you don't. You either catch yourself or you go down. And that's the challenge mm. with just working on the strength aspect of balance. If you go to a balance class, a lot of times you're just sitting there and you're doing kind of strength exercises, which are great, uh, but, but improving leg strength is only part of it. You have to improve that reflex. Mm. Uh, you have to be able to respond when your stimulus is is such that you've lost your balance. And so what we do is we train the brain and the body together. So we get you distracted by that cognitive challenge. 100% of your cognition is focused on unscrambling words, doing a math problem, remembering pictures, you know, seeing a bunch of balloons and telling which one was the was the last one that popped, what color was it? And you're doing that movement at the same time. What that does is because you're your consciousness, your cognition is focused on that task, that cognitive task, it forces the body to invoke the cerebellum or your reflexive center in learning that movement. So we're actually training the reflexive aspect of balance. Mm. 
I see. Very interesting. You know, this really hit home for me because I have an 84-year-old father who has fallen several times. Um, he lives in a different state, and my brother kind of helps helps a little bit, but he still lives by himself. And he has fallen several times. And guess what? The fire department has to come pick him up. Right. Uh, I'm, that, which is pretty standard, right? I mean, I think because the fire guy, the, the firemen are the only ones strong enough to actually lift <laughs> up a, a 260-pound guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of our uh, local partners here in Denver is the Arvada Fire Department. Um, and it's actually a new market we're exploring because most fire departments and most municipalities have some sort of community benefit budget uh, for a program like this. I and when see, you look I at uh, when you look at the fire departments, a lot of their calls are just like you said, to mm -hmm. pick up people who are who have fallen. And mm -hmm. um, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing to go do. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. it's a drain on on resources. You don't want your fire truck with eight firefighters going out right. to pick somebody off the ground if you can prevent it. So um, that's that, an area that we're exploring and, and we've gotten some great uptake on that so far. I saw that posted in your news. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so how does that work, right? The fire department is is funded by the taxpayers and the community, but those resources are being used. I mean, yeah, surely, surely if, if you're telling the taxpayer that, hey, the fire department can shift resources and mm -hmm. not be and not and not be tied up doing this if you'll fund this app i mean i don't i don't know what the, exactly how you're tying that all together but i can i definitely can see the benefit i understand because yeah, i know that's that's the idea is you you know as a as a taxpayer you want your resources going to the the yeah. best possible use and mm -hmm. uh and, and you're trying to make the fire department more efficient. The fire department loves it because it, it helps with goodwill in the community, right? Who doesn't yeah. want to provide a free fall, fall prevention program to their residents that people will use and love and, and that helps people out. So we think it's a win-win all around. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. Yeah, I've thought about that many times. And when my brother calls me and says, hey, the fire department had to come out again, I'm thinking to myself, okay, those guys, these guys probably just like, they're like, you know, <laughs> how many times do they want to come do that? Right. Um, how about the emotional or I don't know if emotion, how, how about the motivational aspect of getting an elderly person to use the app, right? Like a, a lot of times seniors are super close minded to anything new. Um, sure. And no, I know. I, I, yep. Go ahead. I, I think that's a great question. I think that, you know, one of the fundamental motivators is that older adults tend to care about two things. It's number one, their mental abilities. Like, I don't want dementia or Alzheimer's. I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that. The second thing is I, I want my physical independence. I want to keep my mobility. So balance and falling is right up there. When you ask an older adult, what are your two biggest health concerns? Balance is almost one of the top two, almost always one okay. of the top two. Okay. Uh, so people are intrinsically motivated to work on it. Now, the challenge is that up until now, you know, every program required you to go out to a class. I mean, that's the way it was done is sort of one-on-one -on -one physical therapy, which is expensive and time consuming or in-person classes, which are time consuming. And, mm -hmm. you know, find your average 85 year old who wants to go to the gym. First of all, the people at risk <laughs> for falling and the people who want to, you know, that Venn diagram of I'm at risk for falling and I feel comfortable going to a gym doesn't overlap a lot. <laughs> and then you're talking about transportation, right? Like right, transportation. on a winter day, it's icy outside. I'm worried. How am I going to get there? Who's going to pick me up? Maybe I'm not driving anymore. How do I even get to a place like that? Um, so I think that's one aspect of it is we just make it easier, more convenient, and people can do it in the comfort of their own home. So they're not worried about, 
you know, anytime you go to a class like this, I'm sure you've been to an exercise class at some point in your life or a gym. Mm -hmm. There's always Jane in the corner who's the Olympic ager, right? She's sitting there doing cartwheels and you can barely <laughs> stand on your feet. That's not comfortable to be in that situation. Right. So I think that's the first part. The second part is we make the technology accessible to older adults. And what we found is that older adults can use technology if they understand how to use it and it, there's clear instructions. You know, if you look, if you open your average app today, you know, you open Apple Music, there's four things on the bottom of the bar, there's four things up here, there's a zillion things to click on. And, and yeah, that gets that gets confusing for people who aren't used to interacting with technology. We make our software so that there's one button on each screen, it's giant, the font is as big as we can make it. And if you don't know what to do, something blinks and you press that button and you go to the next page. So right. it's very linear, it's very progressive. Um, and it, it makes it in a way that that any individual could understand what they need to do next. So we remove that barrier of complexity, uh, which which prevents people from doing some things. Okay, very good. Appreciate you walking me through the use of it. Now let's talk about the, 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 the business. So your client or the person that pays you is the insurance companies, I guess is what you're- is, That's right. Is who, you're tar is who you're targeting? Yep, that's right. Okay, and talk to us about the, the life cycle of the business, uh, the number of years you've been in business, and I don't know if you want to share revenue or maybe users or, uh, and then employee count. Just give us kind of an overview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've been, uh, Nimble was founded in kind of early 2017. Uh, I mentioned Dr. J.P. Farsi earlier. Uh, he was instrumental in the founding of Nimble, and we really took about, I'll call it two years um, to really get the research and the product right. You know, when okay. you launch a product in, in healthcare, uh, you can't just come out and say, hey, look, I, I've created a new app. Uh, I want everybody to use it. You know, uh, <laughs> major insurance company, go give me a million users and I can't wait to show you our product. You know, you have to develop those initial data points, that those initial clinical study, those white papers. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. We did a lot in the senior living space. Um, and then we, we kind of moved into that insurance uh, side of things after we received some inquiries actually inbound to us uh, from several Medicare Advantage plans saying, we need a scalable fall prevention program. Uh, it's hugely exacerbated with COVID now because older adults can't leave their homes. Uh, right. you know, hopefully we're getting back to normal, but I think there's been a, a fundamental change in how care is delivered and people are looking at, hey, I can consume some care in my home. I don't need to go to the doctor's office all the time. So I think we've had kind of a, a fundamental shift there. So we're excited. Um, we've launched with uh, three health plans here in the United States. We've launched okay. with New Zealand. Uh, we have tens of thousands of users using the platform, which we're, which we're super excited about. And nice. we can't wait to get to that uh, sort of million million fall mark. We're not there yet, but, uh, but we're closing in on it. Um, in terms of employees, we sort of... Uh, I guess Q3 last year, we uh, were at about eight people and we're growing, okay. we're closing in on 17 now and probably 20 by the end of the quarter. So it's been nice. really interesting to, you know, kind of effectively double the team size in a remote environment, which is which is challenging, right? You're trying to keep a culture while doubling the team and and some of these folks I've never even met before. And, and that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's the way it is right now. And uh, so there's some challenges to growth, but uh, but I think we're navigating them about as well as we can. Did you fund angel funding? Did you close some seed rounds, some Series A? Talk to us about where, where you're at with the cash raise aspect. Yeah, great, you great question. Share. So uh, we, we've done we've done an angel round. We've done a couple angel rounds. Uh, Rockies Venture Club led our seed round, which was an angel round in, in mid-2019. And then uh, just last year in September, we closed a Series A that was led by Cobalt Ventures, which is the... Uh, venture arm of Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kansas City. Uh, so we're excited to have them join us. Philip Linville's on our board and he's uh, he's been a terrific board member. They know the healthcare world, they know the insurance world and uh, we're excited to have a great partner. 
So besides getting launched, which by itself is a huge accomplishment, two things you've mentioned here, uh, first of all, getting New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, across the country, and then the Series A, I mean, those two, those two uh, accomplishments were huge for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I would think those, those are big ones. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's a couple things that, um, you know, I, I think from a, from a company perspective, we're looking to have a huge impact worldwide, right? When we talk about preventing a million falls, then we want to prevent 2 million and 5 million. And then we want to get into other areas that affect older adult health. I think in order to do that, you need to raise capital to scale the business because yep. you want to, yep. you want to grow as much as you can as quickly as possible. Um, and so I think from the investor standpoint, being able to connect dots, you know, it's always about showing those patterns. So it's sort of, okay, we've got a couple of US insurance companies. Hey, look, we've got a single payer system abroad to buy into this. This could be an international, this could be a multinational, you know, international play. And so kind of uh, lining up those dots, I think has been really helpful for us. And it's also really interesting to work with an organization where kind of everything is controlled in one place. And we can debate the merits of single payer, but I'll tell you from like a, a claims and data perspective, they have everything in one silo that's available to us. And so that makes our job a lot easier when we try to uh, prove impact. Um, and then on the, on the fundraising side, you know, it's always, um, there's always a bit of a dilemma where you're thinking about, do I, do I need to raise money? How quickly do I need to scale? But we looked at the market right now. We looked at COVID. We looked at older adults being stuck in their homes. And uh, this was the right time to accelerate our growth. Uh, yep. There's a lot of health plans out there looking for digital solutions to reach older adults. There's a lot of older adults looking for solutions and um, it, it just felt like the right time. And it's, it's a little bit sad to be saying that it's been, COVID's been helpful for us when so many people are suffering or have died. So I feel bad about that. Uh, but, but the reality is, is we've accelerated kind of telehealth and digital health by, by years in just a couple months here. Did you, you're paying yourself now. I mean, you're, now you have employees and you're making payroll. I'm guessing the first year or so, did you, uh, do you, did you put in money yourself kind of uh, bootstrapping suffering? Uh, I'm just, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, it's, I'm a, it's a great, <laughs> great, uh, great story. So I actually don't draw a salary. Uh, I take, ah. I take everything in equity. Uh, I'm okay. fortunate that, that my wife has a great job and uh, is willing okay. to put up with my ventures, uh, which is a great, <laughs> great quality to have. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really excited about the long term. So it's sort of, uh, trading a dollar today for $10 tomorrow, uh, is the way that I look at it. Uh, but our other employees are all, are all paid, which is great. And, uh, I think, I think they're happy and, and uh, you're right kind of in the, in the early stages, um, you know, you're getting something off the ground and you've got to, you've got to be all in. So I've put a, a good chunk of money into the business and, uh, and I'm happy that I did because, uh, those shares were cheap and now they're more expensive. So it's, it's right. Uh, it's on what the right track. What is the long-term player? Are you hoping to get purchased by, uh, you know, a healthcare company? Who, who, what, what's the exit plan? Or are you just like, I don't know for sure what the exit plan is yet. We're just building it and we'll see what happens. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a firm plan on that. I think, okay. I think right now we're focused on building a great impact, a great okay. business that has huge impact. And I think when you look at, you know, the kind of the way I look at it is if we can demonstrate and we're, and we're building the initial data points for this now that we can launch a program to a health plan, get enrollment numbers that way exceed expectations and, and produce outcomes that save money and not just a little bit of money, but a significant amount of money. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a desirable business for somebody out there. And whether that's a health plan, uh, whether that's somebody who's providing uh, older adult services or whether that's you know somebody in the consumer world, uh, you know who wants to deliver things direct to consumer in the home. I, I think there's a lot of places that this goes, but 
Um, okay. You know, I, I, it's not that I'm not telling you. I just, I don't, I don't have the plan yet. We're just, we're trying to get the business. I, you know, I, I answer it the same way. People ask me that about our recruiting firm Riderflex, you know, and they always like, okay, cool. You, this is great. You got a nice little uh, recruiting company here. What's, what's the plan? And I answer the same way. I was like, you know what? We're just, we're enjoying building it. We're enjoying servicing customers, placing great candidates. I, I don't have a whiteboarded exit plan. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You see where it, where it leads. Yeah. I answer the same way. Okay. Very good. Appreciate you sharing all that with me. What's your favorite part, by the way, from a tactical perspective, do you, do you enjoy the technology? Do you enjoy now managing the team? Do you enjoy the cash raise aspect? Do you, you know, what's, what's, what are your favorite parts to work on as a CEO? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I like, I like to say that I'm good at a lot of things and not great at anything. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I've, I've had, as I mentioned a little bit about my career, like I, I have a good background in data science and I, I was a developer at one point. So I, I can understand the technology. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've uh, done this long enough, made some initial sales that I understand the sales process a bit. So I, I like to, um, well, it's interesting that you asked the question now, because I think if you had asked me six months ago, I would have said, you know, I like to be in a lot of different places, but what I'm trying to work on right now is we're growing enough that uh, I think my place now and my real focus is on stepping back to that highest level and saying, guys, this is what we need to achieve in 2021 at the company level. How are we going to do it? You know, mm -hmm. th these are the goals. I'm going to set the goals. I'm going to hold you accountable, but you guys are going to figure out as senior leaders of the company, what, what do we need to do to get there and go out and do that? So I'm trying very consciously to talk about the what and the why and okay. not the how. Uh, because I want my team to be empowered. I want them to be able to go out and get it. And they're, they're all smarter than me at their individual jobs. And so, you know, leave, leave the fundraising and the, the board management and all the investor stuff to me and, and uh, let's, let's go hit the objective. So I think, you know, while that's, while that can be hard for somebody who's so invested in the business to say, right. you know, yes. Joe, the product's yours, go, go solve right. these problems. Right. And I look forward to hearing about your success. Um, you know, being able to do that uh, is, is challenging, but at the same time, I think it's, I think it's appropriate. I, it's I think it's, only, it's a step yep, to a growing yep. business and, uh, and I'm starting to embrace that. And, and I get excited about kind of thinking about some of those bigger picture things. That was one of the most difficult things for me to do at, at, at the recruiting firm is start handing off searches to recruiters that we would bring on board. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, you're messing with my brand. Let's make sure you don't screw <laughs> <do> it up. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You know uh, it. Uh, okay, very good. I appreciate you sharing all of that. How about just uh, some advice here? So anything you want to mention or any advice you want to give to the aspiring entrepreneur listening to this podcast that's thinking about starting something? I know that's like we could do an hour conversation on that. Topic, yeah, oh, but, oh, for sure. But for two sure. or three, two or three points you want to bring up? Yeah, to? yeah, I, I will. I got I got this advice from a, a mentor of mine whose name is Ben, and he runs a, a successful company out in Boston now. Um but when I was sort of in between things and trying to think about what was my next business, his advice was, Ed, pick something you care about uh, and that you're passionate about and just go deep into it. Just mm. spend time immersing mm. yourself in that world. And that can mean a lot of different mm. things. Uh, you know, in the healthcare world, it could be, uh, you know, I'm interested in, I don't know, improving emergency room care. And therefore, I'm going to go shadow ER docs or volunteer in the ED and just, just spend time immersing yourself. In his case, it was, uh, he runs a meditation business. And he went to Tibet and spent time with the monks and just yeah. immersed himself in that culture and said, what can I learn from this? And so I think that's a really 
that's really stuck with me because I think when you go deep enough into something, you're going to see problems, things that need solved in areas that you can make an impact. So every one of us has a passion uh, and it's, it's quite different for each of us, which makes the world fun. Uh, and so kind of figuring out what is that passion of yours, go deep in that and uh, <clears throat> see where it leads you. I think mm. the other point that I'd make is think a lot about the support structure that you have around you and, and kind of, um, this is hard. Like it's really hard and it is a complete roller coaster. Like even now is where we're not, we're by no means a stable business, but we're, we're past that product market fit and we're into the scaling phase. It's mm -hmm. like, man, is it a roller coaster where you think a deal is going to come in and all of a sudden it's dead or, or you think this is going to happen. And, and it's just, it's so up and down uh, that you have to be able to afford yourself the, the ability to feel those emotions. You can't bottle it up because if you bottle it up, you, you go crazy and you explode. So right. you've got to either have someone you can share that with, whether that's uh, you know a partner, a, a family, a, a mentor, somebody like that, but really think about how do you surround yourself with people who can be supportive and who are willing to be supportive of what you're doing so that you have those places to bring your concerns. Because when you start a business and you're the leader, as much as you want to think you're the most approachable person in the world, which I think I am, it, it's lonely at the top because ultimately you're, you're responsible and there's things that you just can't go and tell your employees, hey, I'm, I'm wondering about you know, what are we going to do with cash? Because it's running low. You, you can't go, you can't go tell people that. Um, and so it's useful to have that support around you. This is why CEOs always have a bond when they talk to each other, right? Or founders, when they're talking to each other over beers or coffee or whatever, there's always this little bond because you're right. Until you've been in the captain's chair and you felt that amount of pressure, it's just really hard to explain that to employees. Like they just, you just don't get it. Even spouses, I think, even spouses don't truly understand everything that you kind of go through from a pressure perspective. So I, I definitely know what you mean. Very important to have people you can talk to. Uh, by the way, does your wife ever look at you and say, hey, listen, yeah, this is kind of cool and all. I'm glad you're having fun working on this, but when are you going to start getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, um, it, it really hasn't come up, uh, which, I'm, which I'm lucky about. And I think, it's, I think it's because we've built so much trust in our relationship. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about it. Um, we talk about where we are and where we're going. And um, I, I think there's a lot of ways to to kind of gain, uh, I don't know what the right word is, psychic income from life. And mm. I, I think, you know, some people are motivated by money and that's great. You know, money's great. You can do a lot with it. If you get wealthy, look what Bill Gates is doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's changing the world. He's changing third world countries. That's a, those are great things that he's doing. Um, I, I find that a lot of people, especially, you know, people, people say a lot of stuff about millennials, right? And they're, you know, millennials are hard to work with. They want everything, blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, millennials are mission focused and they're mission driven and they get a lot of, uh, they feed their souls and I'm generalizing here, but, but out of doing good for the world. And I think that's a great gift that they're giving to society. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, we're all in different places. And I think, you know, in some ways, once you, once you hit a certain amount of money, it's just kind of, well, you know, just an extra Bingo. dollar. Um, and so Bingo. I think that I think yep. thinking a lot about who do you want to be as a person and kind of mm. where does that lead you? Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot you can gain from doing good in the world. I think. I love the, your, your comment there. You're right. I mean, really after you make a certain amount, like once you get to a certain amount of money where you have food and water and shelter and a few hobbies and, and, you know, you're taken care of, like, like how much more do you really need? Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. There was a, um, there was, there's a, a well-known economist who did a study on this and they kind of measured people's happinesses with income. 
-hmm. and I'm going to forget the cutoff, but I want to say it was somewhere around 75,000. Like if mm -hmm. you, if you make more than 75,000, you are no more happy than, right. than, than, you know, that marginal dollar gives you no real increased happiness. So, um, you know, not, that's not to say it's a little bit of money. I mean, 75 is a lot, but, um, you know, it's, it's useful to know that, that, uh, I don't know. I, I, it puts things in perspective. Chasing that extra dollar doesn't always give you what you think it will. I couldn't agree more. I'll use my own uh, example. You know, I was making, you know, almost 300 grand a year as an executive at one point running, running a couple of companies, uh, you know, before I started Riderflex. Well, I just tell you right now, when I started Riderflex first couple of years, I made it a lot less. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I was 100 times happier, 100 times yeah. happier. Right. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think being able to be self-reflective and understand what makes you happy and what gives you mm -hmm. fulfillment. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I find that autonomy is a big thing for me, being able to control mm -hmm. my schedule. Um, yep, yep. And, and I find that's the same for a lot of employees. You know, we've got, we've got one employee who has two young children. She's a, a working mother and uh, she, she takes the afternoons off to be with her kids and she picks up in the evenings once they go to bed. Great. Mm -hmm. Like we found Great. something that works. Great. Why do we need to stuff everybody into this mold of nine to five workday or at startups, it's more like, you know, a nine to nine workday, but, but, you know, people are different. And I think you have mm -hmm. to realize what are the things you care most about and, and how do you arrange your life to, to give you satisfaction on those? Otherwise you're just, you know, you're playing to society's norms, which, which doesn't work for everybody. Another great point. Yeah. Unless you have a, a, a call center type of deal where you're having to be available a certain amount of hours for customers calling in beyond that the nine to five sitting chair in a cubicle certain times at certain days that really is kind of coming to an end i know for, for us at riderflex same thing it's like look just listen here's the deal complete the searches make sure the client's yep. happy I, I don't care where you work from i don't care when you work just get it done <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and I think, I think COVID's changed that. I, I think you're right. Five days a, a week in the office is gone or yeah. largely gone, you know? Yep. Uh, yep. And I, I think that's going to be a net good for a lot of people. So Agreed. I'm excited to see how that unfolds. I totally agree. But by the way, we could do another two hours just on that topic, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Remote work and, and how to build culture. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Well, congratulations, Ed, on everything you guys have built at Nimble so far. Really. I, I love it. Uh, and you, your, your passion really comes out too when you're talking about it. So congrats. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast. And again, for the listeners, nimblescience.com. Uh, and you just, you know, it's available uh, for download as an app. Take a look at it or for anybody you know that might need it. Uh, most of us, probably almost everybody listening to this podcast has a parent that's probably in need. Right. All right. right. Congrats, my friend. Thanks so much, Steve. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The Riderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.